this book is really about Excalibur the sword and how the forging of the sword is likened very much to the forging of a man so that you can step up and be a leader for your kids. Uh, these are the core things that I believe every man should be working towards in order to create what essentially is the best version of themselves possible. That's Michael Laurier. I'm your host, Jared Lestrange, and you're listening to episode 36 of The Super Dad Show. Today on The Super Dad Show, we are joined by a man with a lot of experience diving into the deepest oceans of what it means to be a man. He's a father, a husband, a coach, and an author. He's about to launch a book that will capture through the use of ancient wisdom insights into masculinity, success, mindset, money, relationships, and parenting in our modern world. To tell us more about his new book, Forging Excalibur, we are joined today by the one and only Michael Laurier. That's a fan- Super Dad show. Thank you, mate. That's a fantastic introduction. I appreciate that. It's a lot of stuff I've got to put in this book, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> You're going to live up to that now, of course. <laughs> and I'm sure you will. Now, Michael, I think a great place for us to start today would be for you to tell us a story. What is the legend of Excalibur? Cool. So everybody understand or knows what Excalibur is. It's the legendary mythical sword of King Arthur um, and the Knights of the Round Table, right? So King Arthur came across Excalibur through Merlin. There's a big uh, mythology surrounding that. And there's, there's two or three different versions of how King Arthur actually uh, came into possession, possession of Excalibur. But this book is really about, uh, all the, you know, is really about Excalibur the sword and how the forging of the sword and uh, is, is likened very much to the forging of a man and the process that he goes through from man to boy and then initiated into masculinity as well and a father and it just goes on from there, right? So, so the forging of a, of a legendary, powerful, indestructible, you know, sword like Excalibur is a powerful, really powerful and empowering symbol to represent that journey that boys go on to become that that version of a man that we all actually want to become. Beautiful. And I actually did some research into Excalibur to understand it more because I guess what I was imagining was um, a young Arthur pulling the sword out of the stone, but that's not actually uh, what I learned um, the Excalibur sword actually is. It's, uh, it was uh, given and then goes back to the lady in the lake. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So there's 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 all this conflicting information surrounding how Arthur came came about or, or came into possession of Excalibur. So there's this whole mythology surrounding this, and it's a lot of people actually have this belief that Excalibur is the sword in the stone. But when you look a little bit deeper into the mythology, it actually isn't. So there's this other sword called Caliburn. And that was apparently, so remember, this is all legend, right? It's all myth, it's all mythology. So mm. who knows whether it even happened or not, but there's this other sword that came out of the stone and uh, Arthur used that in battle and it broke, um, it, it broke in half. Mm. So he engaged Merlin, the magician, to go off and, and, and uh, engage the elves of Avalon, which was also a mystical island, to make a new sword, an indestructible sword, which then was presented to Arthur by the Lady of the Lake, and so when I and I've always I've always been into medieval stuff and mythology and all of that. And when I was thinking about the title for this book and the three month course that I'm creating with for men as well, I really wanted to find 
a symbol, some sort of symbol, symbology that was representative of the journey that a man goes through from boyhood mm-hmm. or, or, a, or, a, or a, you know, a, a guy goes through from, from boyhood into teenage years into young adulthood and then, you know, really defining what that masculinity is and what it means to be a man. And so we all resonate with that word Excalibur. It's a real powerful word and mm-hmm. it's, it's really synonymous with power and indestructibility and, and just all of this stuff surrounding medieval times where masculinity was, there was nothing, there was no question around masculinity back in medieval times, right? It was just, it just was and it was just accepted for how it was. Mm. And so when we think about Excalibur and we talk about Excalibur and we look at the forging process that a sword goes through, very much the same as a process that a man goes through when he goes through a process of self-discovery. Yeah, and uh, yeah, being heated up and cooled back down and heated up, not much like our relationship with our wives sometimes, eh? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It sometimes feels like stepping into the fight, doesn't it? And being forged <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> now, um, look, the other thing, I mean, there, there seems to be an enormous amount of pressure that we put on ourselves these days and we feel from society and a lot of the times it's to the detriment of our mental health and therefore our families. I know it's something you have a strong opinion on in terms of where this comes from and what we can do about it. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, of course. I'm glad you asked that. Um, If we look at suicide rates now across the world, male suicides represent over 70% of total suicides around the world. I think it's 72% or 73% of total suicides are men across the world. Mm. And so when I saw that statistic probably three years ago now, I think this was a stat from 2015 or 2016, when I saw that stat, I thought, wow, that's not good. There's got to be a reason behind this. And I went on a journey of exploration to, you know, kind of connect the dots backwards, trying to figure out why was male suicide so high now. Mm. And because I've been working with men for so many years, you know, coming up to 15 years now, it was, it's really a passion of mine. It's something that I'm really connected with because I was in that place many years ago after going through a divorce and, uh, and then being alienated from my children for a period of time as well okay. and all the other stuff that went around with that. There was child support and family court and financial struggle and mm-hmm. you know, not being able to hold down a job for a few years, a couple mm-hmm. of years, and, and it just went on and on and on. And so because I got to that point, I really wanted to understand how you know the majority of men who are suffering in that regard get to this this point of suicide and when i started to connect the dots backwards and i started to realize what was happening here and this is based on research and it's based on science as well and it's also mm-hmm. based on uh, statistics and when you look at men who have committed suicide the vast majority of them are white collar workers right they're white collar workers and this spoke to me at a very very deep level because I used to be a white-collar worker as well and I experienced exactly what these guys must have experienced. And so when you when you sort of unpack that a bit, white-collar workers are climbing the corporate ladder. They're achieving or trying to achieve and they're on the journey towards trying to achieve this version of success that we see in society these days, which is, in my opinion, very toxic. Mm-hmm. The reason why I say it's toxic is because this idea or this concept of success that we have in our in our society these days is very much attached to societal status and financial 
you know, financial abundance or financial wealth. Mm. So it's all attached to who you are, what you do, more so what you do and how much money you earn. And so as men, we're also told that if we're not trying to achieve this level of success that society tells us is what we should be trying to achieve, then we're seen as or it is perceived that we are mediocre and that we are not operating at our highest potential and that it's almost a waste of a life and we should be doing more and why can't you contribute to your family at a high level and it goes on and on and on. And so what I've found is that because men connect this feeling of success with the acquisition of wealth and the acquisition of societal status as well, mm. what they do on this, this journey is they put everything else that's actually important to them to the side in order to achieve what they believe their wives want them to achieve and their, their children need from them as well and society expects. And so whilst there's nothing wrong with the journey towards achievement and operating at a really high level, I actually encourage that. I encourage men to find a sense of purpose and to contribute to society and their families at a very high level. Mm-hmm. I, I encourage that and that's what I do too. Mm. Uh, the problem is is that the modern, you know, the modern version of what that means is you have to make ridiculous amounts of money. You have to be, you know, you have to have this status in society as well, whether it's a job title or whether it's the leader of something or you have to have some kind of success or significance to get to that place. And the problem is, is that men lose what's actually important to them mm. along, the, along that journey. Yeah. And it's a well-documented fact that men who achieve this illusion of success get there and the problem is they've got a full wallet but they've got you know the wife left ages ago the kids don't want to talk to them they go home to an empty house but they've got a full wallet Mm. and they don't feel any sense of fulfillment or satisfaction within that success anymore Mm. it really does come down to that connection with you know the core of who they are and what they represent um and what their priorities are and how they're actually um, living in alignment with those uh, with those values and priorities in their life that, that makes the big difference. So I guess I wanted to sort of dive a little bit further into what it means to you at the core to be a man. You know, what, what does a man represent? Uh, this is, and look, this is, this has been a journey for me and it hasn't been a difficult journey as it is for most of us. But when you get to the core of it, what, what really represents, in my opinion, what represents masculinity and being a man is having a sense of integrity, having a really high, high level of Mm self-awareness. And I don't mean just self-awareness as in the term that's bandied around quite frequently all over social media, but it's more about an observational Mm self-awareness. It's being able to look at your results and go, where am I, where are my results serving me and where are they not? Mm. What's actually important to me? What are my values? What are my <clears> beliefs? <throat> what paradigms have I been operating from that just aren't working? Uh, being really purpose-driven as well. So actually mm. having some kind of purpose in life. Now, when we when we really when we really break this down to its core, all of us as men, if we're being honest with ourselves, if we don't feel a sense of purpose in life, then we actually don't feel fulfilled in life either. Mm. And when we don't feel a sense of purpose, we're not as attractive to women in general terms as well uh, because we're not driven and we're not motivated and we don't show this uh, direction, this clarity of purpose 
that we need as men to achieve something in life, to feel like we're actually doing something meaningful. Mm. Uh, plus on top of that, there's an element of compassion and respect. You know, uh, these are the core things that I believe every man should be working towards in order to create uh, what what essentially is the best version of themselves possible. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, what do you see are the major problems when a father doesn't connect to a higher purpose? We've got to look at what what example we're setting for our children, right? So as fathers, we we as men, we identify at a very, very, very high level our sense of worth as to what sort of father are we? What sort of example am I setting for my children? Absolutely. Uh, and, and also who am I being and who am I sh- how am I showing up for my wife or my partner? Mm. And so one of, the big, one of the big things that I've found with this journey towards this illusionary thing called success is that we're sending a real strong message to our children that you need to achieve this this is the concept. This is the, this is where I'm going. This is what I need to achieve. And this is what you should be doing too, at the expense of whatever you need to compromise in order to get there. So, and and then of course we have the other aspect of this as well. When a father is not present, so when a father is out there striving for success, they're not at home. They're not spending time with their kids. They're not engaging with them really, they're not present in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so what our kids actually want from us is they want time and they want presence, don't they? That's the biggest thing. When you look at these damaged adults that are in therapy and they've been in therapy for so long, it always comes down to my father wasn't present or my mother wasn't present or I didn't feel safe or I didn't feel nurtured, I didn't feel loved, I didn't feel appreciated. Mm -hmm. So this has all got to do with their parents being tied up mm. trying to achieve. And then, of course, if we don't break these patterns, if we don't really get down to the core of it, all we're going to do is we, we're going to continue this and we're going to leave a legacy for our children of you need to earn a lot of money and, you know, and have a fantastic job and whatever, whatever, and we actually miss the meaning behind it all. Like what's mm. the meaning? The meaning is to build wonderful relationships, it's to build strong connections, it's to really forge. Again, we go back to that word forge, and it's about forging who you are as a man so that you mm. can step up and be a leader for your kids. Yeah. Yeah. I um I wanted to share something uh yeah that just came to mind that I've been writing about lately, and it's uh thanks to my mentor Kim Strong, who really wanted me to dive into um, what are the rights of a child? And uh, so I sort of started to think about, well, okay, if these are the rights of the, of the child, what's our mission around that? And I thought our mission is to ensure that all children have a father figure, us, um, that is a man of integrity, sound character, strong morals, values and principles that will be an influence of good they can learn from and look up to throughout their life because the rights of the child have a right to a stable and loving father-child relationship. Now, that's going to connect with a lot of our audience that um, are, you know, um, are not able to see their kids at the moment, have the right to good nutrition and active lifestyle. I mean, I think it's important for um, us dads, men, to have an understanding of nutrition so that we can teach that to our kids. 
um, have the right to a safe environment. Every child needs consistent access to a safe family environment, free from domestic violence and harm, um, the right to a quality education. Every child deserves a quality education appropriate to their abilities and interests, the right to be heard and participate in decisions that affect them. And this is a, a big one in our in our home, isn't it? You know, being able to actually communicate with our children openly to come up with the rules and the responsibilities and the consequences with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you, Jared. And and I think that's a big thing missing in our society. It's been proven uh, psychologically uh, that children who don't have the don't have the connection or a healthy relationship with both parents will end up suffering as a result. And we find that not that there's anything, you know, mothers are there to provide that nurture and to provide some guidance in certain areas. And this is why I believe that you need a, you know, a male and a female to have children because both the masculine or the man and the woman actually provide different 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 things and different uh, different qualities from their own perspective of being a person whether that's a man or a woman that children need to create and to help create a really mm. well balanced individual yeah and so when we see divorce rates so high and parental alienation a massive thing in society as well when we're looking at divorce and I went through the same thing. I think I've shared this with you. I went through the same thing. I didn't see my children after divorce for nearly 18 months and there was very little contact there. Mm. Um, I'm grateful to have a good relationship with my son now, who's now 22, but I still don't have that good relationship with my daughter, who's now 17. Right. And that's as a result of all this stuff. So it has long-term effects. And this is what we don't seem to be getting in society is that, it's so, 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 so important for children to have, or I don't need to list anymore, you've covered off on pretty much everything that, that, that a child should be able to have as an experience of life. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've learned recently is this thing around conscious parenting. Mm-hmm. When we start to really unpack parenting a little bit more, we start to understand that when we parent, we are really trying to create a better version of ourselves because we see our own failings and we want to make sure that we do everything we possibly can to create a human being that doesn't have the same failings as us. So what we're actually doing with that is we're actually taking away the opportunity for our children to learn uh, in ways that we learned. Sometimes those ways are painful, but they're always necessary because it's only when you get to a point of, heartache and pain and when that pain becomes enough then you're actually motivated to change Mm. so uh, i see a lot of parenting these days is about control and and uh you know and some of the stuff that i've been hearing around conscious parenting these days talks very much to taking away the need to control and to mold this person in the way that you feel that they should be molded Mm. Because what you're really doing, and that's this is just coming from a place of ego here, what you're really doing is to cre- trying to create traits in that little person that you feel are lacking within yourself mm. and not allowing them the opportunity to actually grow and develop um, in, in their own awareness and their own sense of identity and actually feel like they're a contributing member of the family instead of in a dictatorship almost. Yeah. 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 
And, you know, it was only just uh, the other day I did a podcast with uh, with a gentleman, uh, Dr. Chris Celio, um, who's a psychologist, and we were talking about the parents that he works with who have had to overcome uh, drug and alcohol addiction that has caused them to lose touch with their family um, for, you know, mostly adult children to then... Um, I guess, yeah, exclude that parent from their life. And he said, you know, connecting on Facebook has been one way that uh, he has encouraged people to start on social media, meet them where they're at and just start to rebuild that relationship. I guess if we were to get sort of raw and vulnerable um, with you, do you have things that you're attempting to do consistently right now with your daughter um, to reconnect with her because you said you've got that with your son. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that would love some strategies to actually reconnect with their um, you know, young adult kids as well. Yeah. Uh, happy to share, happy to share this because uh, it was a massive learning for me and a lot of heartache involved as well, honestly. So the lesson that I learned uh, with my son because he's – 22 now Hmm. and he and I have just a fantastic relationship now but when he was 14 or 15 up until or maybe even 13 up until the age of about 18 Hmm. we did not have a good relationship at all he just he was my biggest hater (laughs) and uh, and a lot of that was to do with you know and look I can't say that I had no part in that because when you are going through a situation like divorce uh, it's very difficult on everybody involved, and there were times when I could have behaved and acted at a much higher level many, many years ago mm-hmm. than what I did. And mm-hmm. so that kind of contributed to the process a little bit, mm-hmm. but what I find is more damaging to children in these situations, and I'll get to answering your question in just a second, yeah, but of I course. Just, sort of, sort of build into it a little bit. No, what I appreciate I it. Is, what I find is... Uh, is, uh, is more toxic to these children in these situations is when you have one or both parents who are actively attempting to alienate the child, the child mm. or the children mm. from the other parent to serve their own ego or to serve their own purpose of revenge or whatever the case it may be. Yep. And, and we all know, we've heard this before, it's the children that suffer in the end and it really is the children that suffer. So mm. the, best thing I can, the best advice I can give, and this is my experience with my son, is that he always knew no matter what happened that I, love him, that I loved him. Mm. And he always heard that from me. Every opportunity that I got to tell him, I would tell him and I would always let him know that the door was always open and so was my heart. And I would always, every any time that I could send him a message via text because he had a phone when he was like 15 or 16 or something, mm. so I could send him a message by text and I would always let him know and often I wouldn't get a response. But at least I knew that it got delivered. I could see delivered. <laughs> so yeah. I knew that it got delivered and he would have read it. Mm. That's, and I strongly believe that that was the at some point there was enough of that validation there for him to know that I was always there and I loved him that when he needed to reach out to me at 18 for something Mm -hmm. uh, he knew that he could and he did and we hadn't really spoken for about 12 18 months prior to that Mm. and he did and and from that point on 
we have built a really, really strong relationship. And I'm, you know, I, I, I hope that I'm doing the same thing with my daughter. She knows I'm here. She knows I'm available. She knows I love her. Yep. She knows my door's always open. And I'm hoping that at some point she is able to come to, you know, whether she needs to come to forgiveness or whether she needs to come to acceptance or whatever it is that she needs to learn from this experience that mm. she does and then one day reaches out to me. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, the best thing, guys, if you're listening and you're in this situation is uh, the best thing you can do, the only thing you can do is to continue to love your children and understand that they're probably being influenced in some way, uh, which is which is unhealthy for them and it's causing toxicity between the two of you. Mm. But it can change and kids get older and they develop their own sense of identity, that they develop their own beliefs. They start to see things for what they really are mm. as they start to get older. And eventually, hopefully, you will actually get to have a relationship with them. Mm. Now, you don't write a book like you're, um, you're writing now without doing a whole heap of personal development on yourself. And I like to go really deep um, because the, the power of the super dads is in our vulnerability and our, our willingness to share. I mean, in, in hindsight, looking back now on that relationship breakdown, do you think that it would have, if you were the person that you are now, how have you changed? And oh, yeah, <laughs> man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a totally different person now than I was back then. Totally different. Are you asking whether the relationship could have worked if I was the person back then? I, that I, am now? I think I am. Yeah. 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 Um, look, because I think a lot, a lot of dads have that thought. You know, way, way back. I, I wish I knew now what I did back then. I wish I had better communication skills back then. I wouldn't be divorced on my second or third marriage and, mm. and this sort of thing. So here's the thing with that question, and. You know, I'm not sure if we mentioned before that as well as a men's mentor, I'm also a relationship coach and I have been for, you know, 15 odd years. And so what I've noticed in relationships is, and this is not going to be news to anybody, but it, it actually takes two people to create a healthy relationship and it, and it takes the two people in the relationship to damage a relationship as well. Mm-hmm. And so the, in answer to your question, if I was the person back then that I am now, could that relationship have worked? Uh, if I, and, and I'm going to answer just totally honestly here. Yeah, please do. If, if I was the person back then that I am now, I would never gotten have gotten into that relationship to begin with. Okay. Okay, because, because when I'm, now that I have a higher level of self-awareness, uh, we have to really look at what serves us and what doesn't and where our value systems lie and what we will and we won't tolerate and where our boundaries are. And then when we start to build those over time, we start to attract things in, and people into our lives that are of mm. the same mm-hmm. sort of values and, and people of the same values and same vibrational frequencies. You know, we can go into that if you want, but but I don't think the two of us would even have met back then if I was the person that I am now. Yeah, good answer. And who are you now? (laughs) Isn't that the million-dollar question, eh? Who I am? How how have you changed, you know, since since then? Who are you now? Uh, Look, I I definitely have a greater sense of purpose. Definitely have a greater sense of purpose. I definitely have a much higher level of self-awareness and observational awareness. I... 
I, I'm, I'm very deeply aware of who I am as a person and how I can contribute in a healthy way uh, to, to my family, to my community and to humanity, really. Mm. Uh, I have a much higher level of understanding of how the mind works and as a result of that I've developed this this real, what I believe is a real healthy you know, perception of the outside world. And when you think about, when you understand how the mind works at a really deep level and a high level, you can then have a lot of compassion for other people because then you start to realize that everyone is just a walking mind. Mm-hmm. We're just a walking set of paradigms and values and beliefs and everything that comes out of our mouths or everything that, however we behave and our thoughts and our feelings are all connected yep. with the subconscious mind that is so powerful that everybody is driven by that mm-hmm. 95, you know, 95 to 99% of the time. Everything that we think, feel, and do comes from our subconscious. And by definition, we're not aware of what's in the subconscious mind consciously. And so when you understand that everyone is simply a walking mind, you have a much deeper level of compassion for everybody, even people like my ex-wife, who it's, it's very easy. You know, the experience that I've had uh, over the last, you know, 15 years or so since, since we separated, mm. people go one of two ways with that, with that sort of thing. They either develop this absolute hate and resentment and mm. bitterness yep. um, or they go the other way entirely and they just practice what, I, what is essentially just indifference. Mm. They just don't care about anything anymore. Yep. And there's that sweet spot in the middle where you go, you know what, I don't have to attach myself and my sense of identity to that journey or that person. But what I can do is I can start to understand that just like me, she and everybody else in this world Mm. are on a journey. And that journey is always a constant journey, a constant quest, a hero's journey, if you like, of really coming to much greater awarenesses of the self. Mm. And so, yeah, I hope that answers your question. It does. And look, this is something that really interests me uh, being... Uh, 36 years old, um, having embarked on this super dad journey, having seen just how important this mission is to the world to continue to develop myself into the best coach and leader I can be. I'm really interested in your personal and professional journey um, over the last 15 years um, to get to where you are today. What what courses you've done, what programs, what qualifications, I'd, I'd love to know that. Yeah, cool. Okay. Uh, this might take a while. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Great. <laughs> so about 15 years ago, I oh, maybe a bit longer than that, but anyway, I uh, when my ex-wife and I first separated and I started going through all this, just, just this hard stuff really. It was just hard stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. And I started coming out of it a little bit and I thought, you know what, there must be heaps of other men out there that are going through similar things. So I would like to get to a place where I can help them to get through this process much, much better than I could and I did. Mm. And, uh, and so I went off and I did my diploma of counselling and I got my diploma of counselling and, and then I started counselling straight away yep. and my market was men and I started helping men and I facilitated men's groups mm. and did all that sort of stuff. And then I realised uh, I realized about six months, three to six months into that, that the counselling process wasn't actually working for people so guys would come in and they'd do a session with me and they'd feel better at the end of the session. So they'd go away feeling like they'd shared some stuff and they'd gotten stuff off their chest and and they'd really been able to just 
I guess, unload their mind and their thoughts, yeah. mm. and they would go away feeling a bit lighter about that. But then they'd come back to me the next week, and it'd be it, it would just they would present exactly the same way as they did at the beginning of the mm. session mm. the week before. Mm. This was happening for three months, six months, and I thought there's something not right here. There's a reason why these guys are not getting uh, any any kind of permanent results. Mm. So I had to look within myself because I thought I'm the guy here supposed to be helping them, and they don't seem to be. I don't seem to be doing that. So I want to understand why. Before I try to help anybody else, I want to understand why. So then I went off, took a bit of a sabbatical for, for you know, six, nearly 12 months and I stopped counselling and I stopped doing everything. And I went off and I did some more further education and I did some stuff around NLP and neuroscience and neuroplasticity mm-hmm. and I understood, uh, you know, I got a lot of education surrounding how the mind works, the connection between the conscious and the subconscious mind and how that affects us uh, you know, physiologically as well and psychologically. Mm. And so when I started to understand, when I started to understand that, I started to go on my own journey, my own hero's journey, because then, because I started becoming aware of what was in my subconscious mind, I then had to go on my own, do my own process yeah. and go on, start my own journey. And whilst I was doing that, I was helping other men at the same time at that deeper level. And then I found that things were actually working for myself, for them. They were getting transformations and it wasn't taking that long, right? So over the last, we'll say 10 years, over the last 10 years since I stopped actually doing the counselling process and stepped more into coaching and mentoring, I've developed a essentially what is a three-month process and this is a three-month process of uncovering those layers of subconscious mind that just get in the way of everything, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, and helping men in that way because what I found was oh, I still hear about it. I still hear of men and people, just mm. people, who are in counselling or in the psych, you know, seeing a psychologist, and they've been doing it for 12, 18 months, two years. And you go, God, why are you still in that process, right? And then when I started understanding more about what I do now, you understand why because that those whole processes are designed to affect the conscious mind only. They're good for that purpose. They're great for people who are just in absolute an absolute state of overwhelm or they are suffering some kind of actual mental illness, mm. right? Good for those people. But if you actually want permanent transformational change, then you need to do something else. And this is why uh, I do what I do now because my process takes people on a three-month journey from unaware to aware, really. It's about bringing what is in the subconscious mind to the conscious awareness and then understanding how our feelings and our thoughts and our actions and behaviours are influenced by the subconscious mind and then building awareness around that, looking at people's results and saying, well, where is this serving you and where isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then when we look at our results, we get a really, really good indication of our beliefs and our values and our paradigms. Yep. And so when you see results that are not serving you, and this is part of the process, we look at the results. Are the results not serving you? If they're not, then we've got to look at the beliefs behind them, mm. change the beliefs to ones that do serve you. Yep. And now people do this journey and they go through this journey like I did. You go through this journey, three months down the track, people are just different. They're operating at a higher level. They are having more healthy relationships they're much better fathers, they're much better partners, they're much better brothers, 
they're achieving at work at a higher level or in business at a higher level because they have a much higher level of self-awareness. They're more purpose-driven, right? And they're not trying to go for these and, and, and you know, reach for these materialistic ideals surrounding success anymore. They're reaching more towards purpose and contribution and love and compassion and all those really awesome things that if more of us did, we'd probably live in a much better world. Mm. Mm. Now I understand why you do what you do better. <laughs> I just, I just thought, you know, we, uh, for our listeners, we, uh, we, we started this conversation this morning, and then this is take two. And I just thought, man, where can I take this conversation? And I really just wanted to dive into your story a little bit more. And, and um, yeah, I mean, men, dads, they're a, they're a tough nut to crack, aren't they? I mean, it, um, it takes a long time to build trust and rapport for a man to be vulnerable and step into a coaching program, doesn't it? It certainly, it certainly does. And I'll give you a bit of an example of that. Uh, just last week, I had a guy reach out to me by f- a Facebook message, mm. messenger mm. and he had been observing me from, from, from the peripheral uh, for, he said, nearly 12 months. Mm. So he knew that he wanted to make changes. He knew he needed to do something, but he just didn't feel, he just didn't feel like he could like, because from, from a male perspective, and this is one of the unhealthy aspects of being a man sometimes, uh, that, that attachment to the ego and that need to be right sometimes Mm -hmm. and, and, and not actually feeling and feeling like it is weak it is a weakness to actually reach out and say, hey, I'm not doing this thing called life mm. as I could be mm. in different areas mm. and I wouldn't mind some help surrounding this. Mm. And so, and once again, this is all tied around this unhealthy concept that we have in society about what is a man, like a man's meant to be strong, a man's meant to be self-sufficient, a man just has to deal with shit on his own. If he can't, then you're not a man. And that's what society tells us. And it is so wrong. I find that the best men out there, the best quality men out there, the men that are doing the, the most good work out there in the world are the ones that are truly connected with a very deep sense of compassion and a real well-developed sense of identity and integrity. And they have, they've done the work to find what they want to do in life and how they want to contribute to, uh, to society and the world. They're the men that I respect. Like they're the men that I actually connect with. People like you, Jared, right? People yep. like you, and 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 this is where I'd love to just like shout out to all the men that are listening to this and say I'd love for them to have a look at their results. Do nothing else from this if you don't do anything else, but just look at your results. And when I say results, I'm not necessarily talking just about the amount of money you have in the bank. I'm more talking about do you get up in the morning and go to bed at night feeling a sense of fulfillment and purpose? Can you honestly take a good look at your relationships, the one with your partner, the one with your kids, your uh, colleagues, your, your siblings, your parents, and say, yes, these are healthy relationships. And yes, I feel fulfilled. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm contributing to them at a high level. So if you can't say yes to all of those things, then your results are probably not where you want them to be and perhaps you need to step up and take some action and take some responsibility for changing your results. 
That is a message worth sharing. And that I hope hits home with so many of our listeners today. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Michael Laurier. Yeah. (laughs) It's just something that men need to hear because we're also tied up in we're also tied up in this concept of what it's meant to be a man, as a man, what, you, what you're meant to be, how you're meant to be a man in society. And it's all just, I just actually want to, I just want to flip it all on its head and go, no, they're not, they're not the things that doesn't mean that you're a man. Mm. You know, it's, it's inner strength. It's inner strength and the ability to connect compassion and integrity and love with a sense of strength and purpose and contribution that's being a man. That's masculinity. You are speaking my talk, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Absolutely. Michael Laurier, thank you very much for joining us on the Super Dad Show today. I'm going to have a link in the show notes to your brand new book very soon. Exciting times for you. So I really appreciate you dropping in, talking to our listeners today and, and sharing so much, uh, so much wisdom with us. Fantastic. Thank you, Jared. It's been a pleasure. If you love what you heard and you'd like to support the show, please go to www.patreon.com slash superdadsonline. If you are a dad and you are not part of our closed Facebook group yet where we continue these deep conversations, go across to Facebook and search for Super Dads Online. You'll hear me on the next episode of the Super Dads Show with our next guest. Thanks for listening.